This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, really, you can boil down life as they get metaphysical philosophical here right off the top of cardinals underground brought to you by pacific office automation you can boil down life into two categories the known or the unknown the proven or the unproven who's with me paulie podcast danny sarek darren urban and as evidence thereof i present the following known the cardinals absolutely dominate andy dalton it yes. is a proven, is it not, Darren? That is a true statement. I what is the record now over the last four years? Well, that's 4-0. But see, the, the thing about Andy Dalton, though, is it's not just that they keep beating him. It's the fact that they've beaten him and he started for four different teams. And somehow the Cardinals have ended up playing him, whether it was with the Bengals or the Cowboys or the Bears. Bears. That's right, the Bears. Bears. And then the Saints. And in three of those cases, he was the backup quarterback, and the Cardinals just happened to be playing him when Dalton was in there because of a starting quarterback's injury. So, In three of the four, he threw some critical interceptions, right? Yes. In, in three of the four games. Because at Dallas two years ago, yes. it was a disaster. Buda and Baker's first interception ever. There you go. And he did it with the, uh, with the cast on his hand, too, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. And then, of course, we saw what happened with the three interceptions on Thursday night. Danny, as, as the Cardinals, if nothing else, saved America from some bad ball, did they not? Because America was sick of the 12-9, the 12-7 finals each of the last two years. They went out there, some complimentary football, and put a 40-burger on the board. Yeah. Defense, once again, played a large role in this win, large role in getting that monkey off their back and getting that home win. For It would have been 361 days, so they stopped just short of a year, which was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously you'd like to see the defense have a larger role more consistently in putting those points on the board. But at the end of the day, if they're coming from defense, can't really complain too much, right? You're right. They, they won in primetime as well, something they did not do a year ago. They were 0-4 in primetime a year ago, if you include the playoff loss. So There were, there were so many, like... like I had somebody point out to me that the home losing streak started on a Thursday night against the Packers. And the number of fans that wanted to point out that, hey, they won in their black uniforms, which I hadn't thought much about, to be honest. That hadn't happened? I guess not. I I don't care, really. Because I'm certainly not going to breathe any life into the idea that the, the uniforms mean anything. Boo, Darren. Check the mailbag. How many uniform questions did you get this week? None. Really? I'm going to start creating an anonymous username, and I'm going to start asking you questions Mm -hmm. just to get you riled up. Danny, you already have several. You can do that just by talking on this I know, but imagine what I could do with a faceless, nameless. I I mean, everything she already says to your face. Can you imagine with a burner account? Are you kidding me? 
of which she probably already has two of them. She's just not willing to. <laughs> she's just hiding that fact. Let's get a, let's, let's get real here on this front. No, seriously, America did need to see some decent football on the Thursday night. Are you with me? You know, I, I said, you know, my campaign speech this election season, save us all from bad ball. And so at least the Cardinals and Saints did that on Thursday night. It was highly entertaining. Look, there was an all-time meme, if nothing else, of Marco Wilson. Where were you when Marco Wilson vaulted into the end zone? That was crazy insane. Amazing. that The angle, and it, we've been, I feel like just as, around the facility, it's been talking a lot about the how great it is to have like the good luck charm, the serendipitous of having that camera guy get the right shot, thinking about the yeah. folktales with the Stanton shuffle of having Drew Stanton on the sideline, right, with Andre Ellington's touchdown, and it stays on Drew, and we see the Stanton shuffle. To have the camera guy on that angle be focused on Andy Dalton, sighing and shaking his head when you see Marco Wilson do his <laughs> flip behind him in the background was magnificent. I mean, hashtag, it can always get worse. There and it know. did for Andy Dalton. I mean, Danny, are you old enough to have attended a Big Top Circus as a kid? Did you ever go to the circus as a kid? Because I'm likening uh, Marco Wilson to the human cannonball. The guy that used I do to know stick- what you're referencing. You know, I don't know that I ever went to like one of those big circus. Like I don't I don't know that I ever did. Ringling Brothers. Hello? At Veterans no. Memorial Coliseum, actually. There you go. And they used to load the dude, the stuntman guy, and he'd put on the helmet, right? He'd put on the motorcycle helmet, he'd get into the cannon. And they'd shoot him out of the cannon, and he'd go across the big top in the arena, end up in some massive net. That's what Marco Wilson looked like, like he'd been shot out of a cannon, like he was a surface-to-air missile. And he's like 10 yards up in the air, traveling a good 10 yards of distance, and you're like, what's he going to do now? And then, boom, he just pulls the flip, front flip, and he sticks the landing. Look, I was impressed. And don't get me wrong, because it came at the end of such an awesome play, it, it deserves all the props. But let us I don't want to get hung up on the leaping into the end zone for Marco Wilson. It reminds me a little too much of Denny Green justifying why Josh McCown uh, should be the starting quarterback over potentially drafting one because Josh McCown could play basketball really well. <laughs> Right. Let's, let's not get over our right. skis. Or what was the third string former Michigan quarterback? Who could John th- Navarre. Navarre. And it, the justification from Danny was because he could throw that ball through a brick wall. Oh, see, I just remember right? him saying he went to Michigan. <laughs> no, that was too. his yeah. also another. Yes, was... <laughs> well, he played at Michigan. Right. Oh, okay. Right. And, a... and don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm a big Michigan yeah. fan, but still. Because right. there's only one question when it boils down to it. Can you play quarterback? Can you play cornerback? And let's admit it, that would not have been a pick if the receiver had held on to the ball. It would have been a 15- or 20-yard game probably, yeah, actually. went through his hands, and it glanced off the face mask, and then boom, it ends up in the midst of Marco Wilson, and he gone! And you saw the ridiculous athleticism, just like you saw with Isaiah Simmons as he housed it. Did we ever get a next-gen stats miles per hour on either guy? Did they, they must have exceeded 20 miles per hour, at least Isaiah Simmons. I know he won. On the post-game radio, I asked him, he said it felt like 22 Sorry about that. You're not going to get 22. He knows, he knows that off the top of his head? He actually, I actually asked him, and, he, and a guy, I got a better answer than I thought I'd get. He said he expected a 22 miles per hour reading uh, on his 56-yard interception return. I think Kenneth Walker is the only guy to hit 22 miles per hour this year, according to Next Gen Stats, if I saw that correctly. I believe. I, I will get back to you later okay. in the show on that. All right, Paul. that's good. No, that's good. All right, well, look, um, here's the deal Cardinals get the win. And oh, if you look at the NFC West, guess what? There is much. 
their tops a game out behind the Seattle Seahawks, who they have after the Minnesota Vikings, by the way. So, so the first place Seahawks, yeah. is that what you're calling them now, yeah, Paul? I know. Are they still All last right. place Seahawks? You know what? I'm held accountable, and I should be. I should absolutely <laughs> be held accountable. The first place Seahawks right now lead the division at 4-3. and three. They're the Arizona Cardinals at 3-4. and four. Going to Minnesota as of this recording, boom, the Vikings are 5-1. and one. They've won four straight games all by one score. We'll get into the faux division leader that is the Vikings a little bit later, at least according to yours truly. We'll get into that a little bit, a little bit later. But, Danny, what would you like the most out of that win on Thursday night? And let me guess, you're going to start with D-Hop, and you probably should, or no? Yeah, I'm, look, we knew that getting him on the field alone would make a difference in how the defense would game plan and how they would disguise things and how it would open up for the rest of the offense. It's great to have Diop out there, 10 catches, 100-plus yards. But the fact that that is what allowed us to see Greg Dortch and Rondell Moore get more vertical and Eno Benjamin, it, it really did open up the offense. There are still things that need to be worked on, which we talked about before. Just simply adding Hop into the lineup wasn't going to magically fix. Kyler Murray even said it himself last week. It wasn't going to be the magical cure-all to their offensive woes. It definitely helps. We didn't get to see a lot of Robbie Anderson, which makes sense. He'd been a Cardinal, what, two days on a short week? He essentially got no prep. So I expect to see more of him in the game plan this week in Minnesota. Um, And even though the defense played well and, you know, those turnovers, if I'm looking for something that is still a bit of a concern to me on that side of the ball, it's balance. And every week this team has done a good job at shutting down their key opponent on offense. Right? When you look at Seattle, it was Metcalf and it was Lockett. However, Kenneth Walker ran all over you. Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill, contained against the Saints. Chris Olave had, what, 88, 90 receiving yards. He so, was over 100. Over 100. Yeah. So they're still, while, while they're doing a good job at really honing in on that big player they play every week, I still would like to see more of that balance because I feel like it's either the passing game gets has too many holes or the run game kind of one or the other to a certain extent. Well, I'm see, it's funny bringing that up because uh, as you talk about that, my thought process is something's got to give. I I don't, I don't think this defense is constructed in such a way that you're going to get the quote unquote balance. I think if you're going to concentrate on this, then that is going to be a little bit more, I'm not going to say weak, but they're, they're going to get a little bit more. And quite frankly, if you're smart about the run, I know everybody always says, you got to start with a run game, and you can't let a team just run all over you. But again, at the same time, if a team wants to go four yards at a time, have at it because ultimately that's that's a tough way to go. Uh, and that's kind of how I, I feel about. The, I mean, defensively, you don't want to. You know, the Saints got some big plays the other day. In fact, looking at that that uh, um, the top speed thing, Isaiah Simmons, by the way, twenty point six eight miles oh. per hour. Oh, there you go. Um, You know, the touchdown bomb, uh, the Kevin White catch and run. I mean, they got some big passing plays that I I think you just got to avoid. And if Alvin Kamara is piling up some catch yards of 10 and 12 yards when you're just trying to run out the clock, and yeah, they get a relatively easy touchdown at the end and and a bunch of yards, but none of it really matters, you know, I'm going to live with that. I'm sure Vance Joseph is going to live with that. And look, this is subjective, but I'd say it was their worst tackling effort since week one. And week one is usually, typically, the worst tackling of the year because you don't do a whole bunch of it in August. And 
guys sort of ease into it. But yeah, there were a lot of missed tackles. You gave up almost 500 total yards. Now, he Hop made, didn't like what uh, Simmons did on that one play, watching yeah, the wire. Yeah, yeah, those two have a really unique, yeah, unique relationship. That. They really Hop, do. Hop's pretty harsh. Yeah, I mean, it is a tough love from Hop to Isaiah Simmons. Now, they hang out and they talk, and you see them palling around, and they're Clemson guys, and they had an immediate connection because of that upon you know, the two of them being landing on the same roster. But we saw it in, the, in, in August where they got into it and opt through the football at him because Isaiah was squawking and barking, and they oh, had to be yeah. separated. Remember that? I so do remember that. They're, like, highly competitive against, you know – but but from what I can tell, one plus one equals three. They push each other. Yeah. And and Hop is excellent at telling defenders what's happening in the opponent's passing game. He's constantly walking down to the defensive side when he can and trying to share with those guys. Look, here's what the receiver's trying to do against you. It's so obvious. And so uh, in that way, it's just interesting. It just, it really is. Even just observing from the sideline a different vibe when DeAndre Hopkins is there. He is the alpha male. Isaiah Simmons said it, and, and, and then Eno Benjamin went in depth in our post-game radio interview about the way Hop was in the, in the huddle. He just never stopped talking, always had something to say. Could have been to lighten the mood, could have been to amp things up. He always had something to say, and yeah, he was just very talkative. The, the Wired is excellent. If you get a chance, he was mic'd up. And I know, I don't know if they included it. I haven't watched it entirely, but I know before the game, he was telling people, I feel fast, my legs feel fast. Yeah, there was a little of that. And so that they, was, they did not include the sideline peacemaking, just, just so everybody knows. All right. So let's go. What do you think? Big deal. Not a big deal. Something that is, uh, you know, more to it. Is that this the tip of an iceberg we can't see, Danny? What are you making of it? You watch a lot of reality TV, so you're the I expert. I don't know that I watch a lot, but I... At this point, I don't make a lot of this. I mean, how many weeks have we seen Tom Brady slam the tablet and that's okay when we see that other big quarterbacks yell at their coaches or yell at their teammates? To me, like, we know how competitive Kyler Murray is. That's passion. That, that to me, is what this is. If this is something that continues to happen week after week, I think that might become a different story. But prime time, it's important to win, important to get that home win, you know, shake those two losses you're coming off of that to me was passion so I didn't really have a problem with that of I understand I would assume the frustration of you know burning the time out and and whatnot but to me if you're asking do I think that there's trouble in paradise between QB1 and your head coach I don't I don't think that's what that says I I, it's it's a fascinating kind of feel for me Uh, one you know, I likened it, and I'm not saying it's the same thing, and and I'll get to that in a minute. But like, I think to myself the number of times my young adult children have told me to chill, and usually that has the opposite effect on me. That doesn't make me any more calm. That just pisses me off. So because they're telling you how to feel, yeah, how to judge the situation. Now I will say this. Cliff Kingsbury and myself, I think, are two very different people. Um, and, and I think ultimately that's what I go back to on this whole thing is because it's, it's about how Cliff reacts to it, to me. And I understand people that say, hey, maybe you don't want the quarterback doing that to the head coach. I get that. And I, I, might, I probably fall in that category. But if the head coach is willing to say and g- being genuine about it, and willing to say, look, it's the heat of the moment. 
this stuff is going to happen. We don't know what kind of conversation they're going to have about it later, which I would assume there would be a conversation and not like Cliff saying, don't ever let this happen again. But like, hey, you know, where where are we? I mean, if they can talk about it when the moment isn't heated, then it's all good. And we're not going to necessarily know that. And um, but I just feel like if Cliff is willing to handle it that way, then who are we to say that you shouldn't do it that way? I think a lot of it, and this is just a theory, comes from the fact that Cliff can talk to Kyler through the headset. Kyler can't talk to Cliff. So he has to wait for the in-person, face-to-face opportunity when Cliff is within earshot. Now, the downside is you're on Thursday night. You're in prime time, and well, there's two dozen cameras. Yeah, Nobody's going to miss that. So you have to be aware of that. You have to have some awareness and and you have to know as a quarterback, and Kyler knows full well, the cameras are going to pick that up. And it's going to look disrespectful to a certain degree. Here's the only thing that I pause on what you're saying, which is talking in the ear, which is Kyler specifically said after the game it wasn't about him talking in the ear. It was seeing him out of the corner of his eye and then watching him. The antics? The antics, as right. he called them. Okay, And maybe it was just a visual I tend to think there was also something audible that maybe Kyler or that Cliff was conveying. It's just an assumption because I always see him talking. I always see him talking in up until the 15 second mark. So I I can only go by what Kyler said. I know this too. There's usually a coach, uh, a camera on the coach too. And I don't know how bad the antics could have been because I'm guessing they had Cliff on camera somewhere and they didn't show any of that. See, to me, if I'm directing yeah. that and he's really angry, I'm showing I'm You're showing the, coach. the screen. Yeah. You're splitting the screen. And, and you know what? That's a great point because I didn't really see anything demonstrative from Cliff. So actually, that's and now that I think about it, that was my initial conclusion from the sideline. It was something Cliff said because I didn't see Cliff getting animated yeah. or demonstrative. So it was more of something Cliff well, might have set up to the 15 second mark. And let's face it, when you have to call a timeout in that situation. It looks bad on everybody. Of course it does. It looks bad. Especially the, since they do it all the yes. time. <laughs> and so, and, and, and I'm sure it had been a, a talking point. It had been a sticking point, right? That, okay, and now we're on national TV and it's happening again and nobody looks good in that situation. So, yes, tempers are running fierce. And I'm here to tell you, without naming names, that on a sideline full of alpha males, there's a lot of arguments that never get caught. By the cameras. Of course. And guess what? Cliff and Kyler yeah. aren't in a lot yes. of them. Yes. A few years ago, they had to separate two defensive assistant coaches, I won't name, from getting physical. They were ready to come to blows. So it happens. And this is still different, but we even touched on it a couple minutes ago in this podcast of during training camp, D-Hop and Isaiah. Uh, Think about Will Hernandez and J.J. Watt. Like there are, <laughs> right? Like there are moments yeah. when you are getting competitive and you are playing a physical game that sometimes it just, you get caught up in the heat of the moment. And so that's kind of what I, I see this between Cliff and Kyler was that passion. That, to me, I, I, I didn't see that as, you know, we've got some serious problems and hey, all that kind of stuff. One time, Paul, there was a defensive tackle that may or may not let some phlegm fly against a teammate back in the day on the sideline at the end of a game. Yeah. 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 There's... Um... <laughs> If you remember. Yes, yes, I, I do. You might have to give me some of the particulars a little bit later, but yes, that um 
It was in New York. And, 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 they oh, lost to the Jets. Ah, yes, that's right. Yep, and a certain safety and a defensive that's, tackle. That's yeah. right. Now I remember that. You know why I remember that? Because you were right there? Because one of the two players had an unbelievable game, and he was about yes. three. Yes. And I had requested Against him for the— his former team. And I had requested him as a post-game interview, and he also may or may not have been the host of the Big Red Rage. <laughs> so I may or may not have had a really good relationship with the guy, yeah. and he shined me. He just completely – he didn't come on the post-game radio. And I'm like, what's going on? And then later yeah, I realized, yeah. well, <laughs> there was it a came lot, out. There was a lot bubbling under the surface that had nothing to or do with the media. Or on top of the surface. Yeah, it was uh, – Can't wait to get yeah. filled in later. Yeah. Speaking of the juicy and the salacious, Danny, how about the the revelation after the game? D-Hop with Amazon Prime on set saying there was a players-only meeting. Pause for effect. Players-only meeting where D-Hop highly suggested – and recommended that Kyler speak first to the team, which he did. So can anyone fill in the blanks on that one? What do we know there? Known and unknown. I think what we know is that it is unknown. I don't think we're ever going to really find out the what was said in that meeting, but it was. I would think it was needed. I mean, think of how many times this team has had to make those halftime adjustments and relied on those speeches. At some point, you've got to start from the beginning. Um, so I like that idea of having a players-only meeting and holding yourselves accountable and I think Kyler should he's one of the leaders now there are other leaders that I would imagine spoke in that locker room I'm sure Buda Baker or JJ or probably D-Hop himself had something to say but absolutely you would expect your quarterback especially franchise quarterback getting paid like a franchise quarterback who has talked all you know after this offseason about wanting to be more of that leader yeah I would expect him to talk it's funny because one, I went back and watched it uh, on YouTube. I went back and watched the post-game interview with Hop, and it was really kind of a throwaway line, and they didn't really seize on it. No, they I was didn't expecting to, up. I was expecting there would be a lot more, and then I'm like, oh, that's all there is. Cliff Kingsbury did say when he left the meeting that day and they all, all the players stayed behind, he did say he thought he heard some raised voices, which was probably good whenever they did it. Um and he was just saying, hey, it's good to have these guys, again, being yeah. holding each other accountable. Uh, you know, these meetings happen a lot. They're definitely going to happen when you're not playing well. And before the Saints game, they were definitely weren't playing well. So, I mean, I don't – the funny thing is, is when, to me, is the hop saying I, I made sure that Kyler spoke first. I mean, to me, that should be natural. I think there's still – it feels like there's still a little bit like, hey, we got to make sure that this this happens, but it is what it is. I mean, I know they came out and played well. We can say how much of it was Hop. I do think Hop had a big a big impact on it. There's no question about that. I also think that uh, everybody was looking for the Hop making a big impact narrative, so it fits in nicely. So even if there's other parts of it that really don't have anything to do with. DeAndre Hopkins, I, I'm not 100% sure the ball going through the receiver's hands for the Saints and into Marco Wilson's had anything to do with Hopkins. Really? No. I don't know if Isaiah Simmons kind of settling down and not trying to do too much was DeAndre Hopkins or Vance Joseph finally saying, just relax and just be that spy, got him that interception. But because of how it played out, people like myself, and I'm not going to apologize for it, we're going to run with the hop made that big of an impact. So... We see what happens now going forward. Does Patrick Peterson cover DeAndre Hopkins this week? Uh, you know, we're going to see a much better defense. I mean, the Saints weren't a very good defense. That's the other thing. They had like two and a half cornerbacks and like, yeah. you know, 
whatever. Well, yeah, they, they didn't have Marshawn Lattimore, and then they lost two other cornerbacks. Roby went out, like, really early, yep. right? And they already are without uh, Paulson Adebo, Adebo. I mean, he was, like, considered a starting yeah. caliber cornerback. He was a late scratch as well. So, yeah, they were really banged up in that secondary. What's amazing on Pat P, by the way, was uh, what his head coach said about Pat P after the Dolphins game. They went down to Miami. They got a win. Of course, they have Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, who both had big numbers, by the way. Jalen Waddell had, <laughs> had a half dozen for a buck twenty-nine, and Tyreek Hill had a dozen catches for one seventy-seven. But the Vikings won, so nobody cares. Yes, and um, Kevin O'Connell after the game said about Patrick Peterson, "quote He was all over the place and really kind of set the tone defending two premier wideouts all day long. He was one step ahead, making some critical plays." I'd like to see what the PFF grade was for that game. So that's intriguing. Again, it, it, once upon a time, D-Hop and Pat P had that epic 2017 battle yes. royale where they went against each other in Houston. That's true. That was a really good matchup. Yeah, it was a good matchup. And they were both, you know, at least Pat P was, was in his prime. Let me say this about the players only meeting, though. And, you know, Rob Fredrickson, God love Rob, and we get into it, right? Former Cardinals linebacker, spent a decade in the league, part of our broadcast crew. And he's always of a very strong opinion. Teams that have players-only meetings, that's the beginning of the end. You're sunk when you get to the point of having players-only meetings. I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's that dire. They happen even on winning teams, okay? But usually there's a reason they're called and things aren't going real yeah. well. Yeah. I'll say this, though. If part of the Cardinals' slow start at 2-4 and four, was different guys making different mistakes at different times, which made it hard to diagnose. Guess what? That comes down to accountability. And to me, D-Hop brings accountability. He's that guy. It comes in and, you know, Tom Brady was that guy, and we can get all that, okay, and I know you can't quantify with analytics. I get it. But everybody, you know, a player in a locker room, like say, hey, I don't want to let that guy down, or that guy's going to hold me accountable. What D-Hop does with Isaiah Simmons <laughs> overtly maybe not to the same degree everybody but if he felt the need to call that sort of meeting for example Aaron Rodgers came out earlier today yeah. and said 20 percent of of all the plays they've run have had mental errors hyperbole and based on what I've seen you know on the sideline what we've heard between I mean if you told me the Cardinals in some of these games 20 percent of the offensive plays run had mental errors I would not be shocked. See, it's funny. I saw an ex-player say on Twitter after the thing saying, I've never been around a team. I think it was Ross Tucker. I've never been on a team that had 20% mental errors in a game. Okay. And sure, he might be exaggerating. But let me. where's the uh, stat on the uh, – so if you have yards per completion, yeah. okay, yeah. yards per completion, and at 33 is Kyler Murray right now. Yeah, that's probably not good. Do you know who's 34? Matthew Stafford. Do you know who's 35? Aaron Rodgers. Wait a minute. Do you know there's only 32 teams in the league? <laughs> there, Jameis Winston, for example, is number one in this okay, category because yeah. he has such a small sample size. Okay, so some teams gotta, have I two gotta, quarterbacks. I can, entertain you. Okay. can I get back to something real quick? I don't sure. know. No, Paul's in the middle I, of a no. What, no, what I am on Paul's side. Continue, right, Paul. I, I'll wrap this real quick because we're all glazed over, eyes glazed over with the numbers. What I'm saying is what I think all three of those quarterbacks have in common are jumbled up receiver rooms. For example, Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray had missed their number one receiver the entirety of this season. But you so, had Hollywood Brown. Okay, and, and he was productive. But, you know, there was a trickle-down effect when D-Hop is there, as, as we've Absolutely. talked about. And there's a lot of other guys in different roles and places. And 
look at how the Rams have struggled without OBJ and no reliable option after Cooper Cup. And then, of course, we know what the Packers receiver core is about. There it is. There's my piece. No, I'm just saying I, it. There's I'm, my theory. My only thing is, is yes, of course, you didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, and that makes a difference. But the plan going into the season was to have Hollywood Brown, which you had, was to have Ronda Moore, which you had. A.J. Green, which they had. Now, that probably hasn't panned out to be as productive as they would have liked. Really, the only receiver besides D-Hop you had the injury was Tweezy. And I'm not sure that Tweezy would have been like a very big difference maker week after week. So that's my only point is when you're talking about a, a mixed up wide receivers room, yes, they have because of, you know, things that have trickled down. But for the most part, without D-Hop, they had the receiving room that they were planning on having. I don't really really like the idea that we're going to sit here and say this is if to me if you're going to be one of the elite quarterbacks and of course what goes with that is if you're going to get paid like one of the elite quarterbacks you don't get to sit there and say my receiving room is jumbled you, you gotta don't make get to it do work it. elevate elevate i mean teammates. i don't i don't that's just not it doesn't work that way. You you can't you can't get paid the money you're getting paid and then say, well, but I don't have enough support. Tom Brady did wonders with lots of nameless kind of receiving situations over his career. And, Chris Hogan, you know, and right. and the other thing I wanted to say, and this is the other thing that's and by the way, to make your point, yeah. Aaron Rodgers came into the AZ last year on Thursday Night Football without Devontae Adams and beat. An undefeated Cardinals team. That same thing where the same interview where Aaron Rodgers said that twenty percent mental mistakes. He also claimed that Tom Clement gave him his, who's the, now the quarterbacks coach or offense coordinator or whatever in, in Packerland. Um, he also claimed he gave Aaron his highest grade of the year for that game against Washington. Oh. I watched a good chunk oh. of that game, mm. and Aaron Rodgers is like parading this like I got my highest grade. Yeah, that didn't look. I mean. That wasn't just receivers, so that's that's where I get stuck. And the other thing is, you had mentioned earlier, uh, because this is a pet peeve of mine, where you're like, <gasps> Here we I'm go. listening, I'm bracing. When you said you you said when it when it it seems to be mistakes by multiple people, it's always mistakes by multiple people. If if one or two people are doing the wrong things, they're not playing or they're out of the league. Well. Okay. I just wish we had a camera to see Paul's facial reaction but it, to that. It's not always. I mean, once upon a time they had Levi Brown, right? Who was making like yeah, but eighty I, false starts a season. But I see, mean, I don't. I, see, I, dis- I disagree with you. I think Levi Brown. Levi Brown was never as good as he should have been for where he was picked. But I don't think Levi Brown was as bad as everybody thought he was. He he just never lived up to the expectations. He certainly wasn't a elite left tackle, but. You cut your. I mean, at one point they released him and then brought him back. I mean, right. if they thought he was that yeah. terrible, they wouldn't have kept him. Well, like, think of the Cardinals' offense before Rodney Hudson and what a liability center was. I mean, sometimes it is just one guy or one position. It's not, you know, I'm just saying. Too often, from my observations, it had been akin to preseason, where there's different guys making different well, mistakes, different times. And I'll say this, and, and look, I'll just say it. I think the reason that a certain receiver didn't get a single snap was because of that, maybe. because of some of the mental errors. And that's, and I'm not, and again, that that's the kind of thing. And for me, if you're talking about like you go back to the old center thing, and I'm like, so if they were struggling much of the time because they just didn't have a center and everything else was working then obviously that's that's an issue with the front office because you should have fixed it. And sure. two, more importantly to me, 
if you've got one position out of 11 that's subpar, that says something not good about the rest of your offensive talent if you can't make up for that one person. That's, that's my feeling. It, it goes back to what I feel about the quarterback. If, if you are an elite superstar quarterback, you need to make some of these receivers better than they are. Now, if they're all making mistakes, okay, I get that, but I, I, don't, I don't know about yeah. that. Well, not every player can be Eno Benjamin. There's my segue. How about that, Danny? Not every player can go out there and she's just laughing at me right now. Be buttoned up in your playbook and be the try-hard guy. Wolf raving on the air about the desperation with which Eno Benjamin runs. I think we would all agree with that. I mean, how many spin moves did he use to break that tackle and get a couple extra yards and keep the legs churning? All for a guy. By the way, I got a laugh out of Cliff Kingsbury on his TV show this week. Here's the deal, because a few weeks ago, Eddie, you know, on the Big Red Rage, and I asked him, true or false, once upon a time, early in your career, you were in Cliff Kingsbury's doghouse. And Eno's answer, he smiled and he said, well, I don't know about that. I'll just tell you I wasn't where I needed to be. And so I conveyed that question to Cliff on the TV show, true or false, once upon a on time. On air? On air. We, okay. we, and I, I, said, like I said, I asked Eno if he was in your doghouse once upon a time, true or false. And Cliff actually gave a hearty laugh about that. And he said that they had a big time heart-to-heart his rookie year. And he let him know that his career was hanging in the balance and that Eno has since made the necessary adjustments, et cetera. So uh, anyway, I mean, at this point, I don't know if we're expecting James Conner back after the extended weekend or not against Minnesota. But Danny, what would your running back rotation look like these days? I would probably sprinkle in more Eno Benjamin with James Conner. I think that there is now the question of, you know, on the depth chart at the beginning of the season, Connor was RB1, and then Daryl Williams and Nino Benjamin were both listed as RB2. I'm not sure that, and, and maybe that's not fair to Daryl, who hasn't played in, what, two games with a knee? Yep. Two games. Maybe that's not fair, but maybe that's just the way the cookie crumbles of when you come back. If Eno is riding high, you keep, you keep using Eno when you use him more than you were before. If I would have used the phrase cookie crumbles, if that's the way the cookie crumbles, you would have given me some kind of like, man, that's something my dad would say. It is something my dad would say, but I said it. (laughs) Why can't both be true, Darren? (laughs) Because you would have used it as a hurtful uh, insult You are getting upset with me over a hypothetical situation. (laughs) I'm going to save you guys with a stat. Did you see this one? (laughs) Because Cliff actually was not aware that under his head coaching tenure since 2019, the Cardinals now have 41 games with 100-plus rushing yards as a team, and the only teams with more since 2019, Baltimore, of course, and Philadelphia. Think about that. 41 games. You've gone over 100 rushing yards as a team, and only two other teams have more 100-yard rushing games than the Cardinals. So, And, and, and Cliff's response to that, by the way, was air raid, baby. Was, <laughs> he so, loves, he oh, loves, yeah. yeah. He loves the, 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 sort of the reverse psychology, sort of the snark on that he one. He says he doesn't you read know. or listen to anything. Oh, they yeah. all say that, Danny. <laughs> they all say that. So the Cardinals ran it 29 times, which is unfortunate because I think there's some stat where they run it 30 times over the last couple of years. They're undefeated. But they ran it 29 times. Of course, that includes one kneel down. You get rid of the kneel down, and it's almost exactly five yards a carry. So now you go into Minnesota, and you're like, all right, uh, what are we going to do here against a Vikings team that is 5-1? And by the way, a Vikings team 
that didn't exactly dominate the QB combination of Skylar Thompson, the rookie, and Teddy Bridgewater replacing Tua Tagovailoa. So, right? So, I mean, everyone's writing home about this big win at Miami by Minnesota, but let's not let's not forget they were starting a third-string rookie quarterback, the Miami Dolphins, in that game. Am I wrong here, folks? I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, look, you don't apologize for being five and one, and they have won those games. But I, you know, again, I don't, I don't think anybody's sitting there going, "Oh my God, the Vikings are going to rampage to the Super Bowl." No, but I also think too of when the Eagles came in, right? It was, oh, but look at the teams they beat, and they have continued to ride high. So I, while I don't necessarily disagree with you on some of the teams that Minnesota has beat. I mean, they're still five and one. We're, we're going to go Parcells here, Paul. Okay. You are what your record yep. says you are. Yep. You kind of sounded like Sean Miller, the former U of A basketball coach. Don't I'm not ever, gonna... ever say that again. <laughs> I don't need that kind of insult. I, I knew you were Wait, gonna... say it again so I know how to insult you, you him. Were, you, what I knew was his you, name? Anything about U of A hoops he'll take personally. That's why I brought it up. When they got bounced in like the you know Sweet 16 or something, and he said, I'm not going to apologize for going 35-4 and four, not making the Final Four, and he went into the whole rant. I'm not going to apologize for doing this great, you know, splendicular thing and that thing and all this. My question is, Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings, their uh, new head coach, to what degree is this going to be like playing the Rams? Because he comes from the Sean McVay tree. That's a good question. And he's already instituted. I heard you ask Zayvon Collins about that. Yeah, I didn't get much out of that. No, you didn't. Here's the deal, though. Uh, supposedly, uh, thanks for reminding me that it was an epic fail on that question and answer from Zayvon Collins and yours truly, Paulie Pencilneck. Kevin O'Connell has, impl- I'm reading here, has implemented a program called Situational Masters. One of many aspects copied from Sean McVay when he was with the Rams. And the quote is, it comes down to those margins. And how can we be good on some plays in situations that maybe don't always get talked about on Monday morning, but they're winning plays and winning philosophies for us. So, for example, I'll give, here, here's Honestly, these. That's a little confusing. Because remember, the Cardinals beat the Vikings last year in week two. And most would say the Vikings beat the Vikings. So when they got rid of Mike Zimmer... There was a lot of attention to the little things that become big things in these, quote, winning margins in NFL games. For example, they have a plus 33 point differential in the final four minutes of either half. And that is relevant. Not only is it best in the NFL, but last year they were dead last in that category at negative 73 points at the end of a half. I would love to know what the Cardinals is. So that's I don't a great think it's question this year. I, I don't have that in front of me. I don't know. But. Uh, remember, B.A. was a big proponent of that. Yeah. Points at the end of the half, especially, you know, the first half. It just it was he that was it. Darren has his pet peeves. Bruce Arians <laughs> had his and that was one of them. Put it that way. S- speaking of the Vikings, ladies and gentlemen, did you know that this and I saw this this week and I was blown away by this. Here did we you, go. Do you know the, the Cardinals have never won in Minnesota since moving to Arizona? Come on. No. They've, really? pl- they've played there 10 times, including the playoff game after the 98 season, and have lost every single time. The last time this franchise won in Minnesota, which is another weird part of this, was 1977. I can't <laughs> believe that the Cardinals what? are and the Vikings have both been in the NFC the whole time and didn't play in Minnesota any time between 77 and 91, which is true. But they moved, this team moved to Arizona in, in 88, 
They played in Minnesota for the first time in 91. They've played there 10 times and have not won any of those games. So what do you remember about that game in 77, Dan? <laughs> wow. Oh, here we go. See, I was that waiting was, for you to finish. We you are just... Nice. I was waiting patiently. That is nice. not right. Well, if you want, uh, Darren will find his post-game interview with Bud Grant, <laughs> the Vikings coach at the time. And the Fran per- Tarkington and Alan Page. Yeah, and the Purple People Eaters. He'll go there. Um, What's amazing is there was rude. there was a stretch midway through Larry Fitzgerald's career where we used to give Fitz a hard time because seemingly the Cardinals are going to Minnesota every other year and I'm like Fitz are you talking to Roger Goodell and you know getting getting a trip home every other year played there in 2010 2011 and 2012 yes there you go I mean it, lost them all lost them all well obviously that's on Fitz that's on Larry there's something uh, I don't know just couldn't perform when he was back well actually uh, he had a really good game the 2006 game that they lost and Matt Leiner threw for 400 yards and Anquan and Fitz both had huge games and they still lost and then Edrin didn't take the plane ride home the 98 playoff game by the way was the coldest I'd ever been anywhere because it was 20 below with the wind chill that's outside uh, not oh I would have quit oh True story. No the way. game the game was inside. Oh. So Oh, okay. Then I would have yeah. continued my job. <laughs> but Danny, but, but Danny, check this out, right? So as a TV news, right, bonehead at the time, okay? So I was working for the local channel five and we went outside the Metrodome and it was twenty below with the wind chill. And, of course, there's somebody at the news assignment desk in sunny Phoenix, Arizona, and they're on the line. They're going, oh, geez, why don't you go over there and get some video of everyone tailgating? Okay, pretty good idea. It's pretty hilarious. They're all in their <laughs> snowmobile suits, and they're tailgating. It's 20 below. We made it across the street, and Ricky Bogrand, love you, Ricky B., Phoenix native, and he was the photographer, and we got across the street. I'm not going to make it. I'm not, I'm not going to make it. And he's shivering, and he's ready to pass out from the cold and the 20 below windshield, and he, and he turned around and went back in the Metrodome. Was he wearing shorts? <laughs> and so I called the newsroom. I said, yeah, it's sort of like that that uh, from The Hangover where Bradley Cooper <laughs> says you know, about the wedding. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That was me to the newsroom. That's not going to happen because our photographer can't make it the uh, quarter mile across the street. In 20 below See, to get Paul the video. was already in the big time at that point. In in uh, the 1998 NFL season, I was still covering high school high schools. <laughs> See. Was I? I oh, you, no, I guess. I was covering hockey. you were going to say you year. were in high school. I was like, no, wait, okay, no. that's a lie detector. No, no. All right. So, uh, yeah, as for – by the way, did I tell you, I actually uh, – name drop, I actually did say hello to uh, – uh, Tyron Matthew after the game. So, oh, okay. uh, Tyron, you know, that's uh, it, the Badger. Good. And now, yeah, he's all good. And so we're going to see Pat P this time around. Here's my question on the Cardinals How close are they to playing truly meaningful winning football? Because there are certain areas you look, they're playing winning football, right? They're not turning the ball over. They're tied for fewest turnovers in the NFL with five. They're not commuting a lot of penalties. For example, New Orleans came in. Leading the actually it was Seattle the week four came in leading the league in penalties. Some of the Seahawks stinking. The first place Seahawks actually still ended up winning that game. But there are certain aspects where the Cardinals are dialed in, Danny. I would I would disagree with that. I think they are playing to a certain extent winning football. I just don't think it's sustainable. I think in the games that they have won, when you look at Kyler Murray having to throw fifty seven passes, or you look at this team having to come back a twenty point deficit, having to come back every single game. You're having to rely on your defense to have three turnovers or put 14 points on the board. That's great. And that can be winning football many weeks in the NFL, but it's not sustainable. And that's not going to allow this team to have that success based on themselves. That's having to rely a lot, I think, on the opponent that you're playing. 
I think offensively, I don't know if it's chemistry. I don't know if it's play calling. I don't know if it's communication, execution, but but something is really really not clicking with Kyler Murray and his receivers. And I, I say that as a whole. I mean, we we saw D-Hop for one game, and of course D-Hop is D-Hop. But it still feels really inconsistent. Well, even even with D-Hop, there was a, definitely a couple passes that uh, didn't come to fruition or even that one on the sideline where everybody kind of oohed and odd where – D-Hop went, and then literally as he turned around, the ball was, like, on him, and somehow mm-hmm. he hung on to it. I mean, it, that that's not all the way there either. And I think some of that is still on Kyler Murray with the accuracy. It just it doesn't feel like things are smooth, and I feel like this far into the season, things should be clicking more than it appears that they are. Maybe, maybe Robbie Anderson, not, again, not the end-all, be-all solution, but without having Hollywood, maybe that's going to make a difference this week we'll have to wait and see but I just that's what really sticks out to me was there just doesn't feel like a lot of cohesiveness between Kyler Murray and his receivers can I add accuracy to that list absolutely Kyler's accuracy has not been what it once was his completion percentage is right there with his rookie year it is definitely regressed it's not great and what did Kyler say at his locker in Seattle because we're all there that this bleep feels hard right now meaning the offense overall moving the football it feels hard it hasn't felt like this since my rookie year there are some parallels and and last year with all the adversity the offensive line he didn't have a ton of time in the pocket I feel like he's even with already having some adversity the offensive line this year I feel like he's had enough time in the pocket that wouldn't necessarily affect, you know, you're moving so quickly, your accuracy's affected, anything like that. There were at least two sacks on Thursday night where I think everyone would agree he should have gotten rid of the ball. At least two sacks where everyone said, you got to get rid of that. After four seconds, you have to get rid of that ball. It's got to go to someone somewhere, or you just got to throw it out of bounds. Get outside the pocket and make sure you don't take the intentional grounding. But yeah, the, the rhythm isn't there. The one, two, three steps and the ball's out to the right place. Uh, you know, and so for whatever, and then when there are open receivers, too often they have been missed, whether it's thrown off the back foot. I mean, look, we're all, I'm getting over my skis when I'm analyzing QB mechanics, but for whatever reason, there have been open receivers that have been missed with more frequency than in seasons past. I, just the eyeball test says that. Well, for me, there's no question that he's missed some. The other thing, too, is I, I keep thinking of the underthrown deep passes, which didn't yep. seem to be an issue before. So, I don't know. Well, there's no doubt. I think there was a stat after three years in the NFL, he had the best deep ball percentage and accuracy, according to the analytics, of anyone in the league. And so, and that definitely has not been the case this year. So, when you say, is it sustainable, Danny? Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a valid question. So, there's room to improve by everyone, including the quarterback. What's interesting is, I've had it down to ask the last couple of games and just haven't gotten around to it in the post-game interview, but I think it is a valid question if Cliff Kingsbury has asked about the accuracy of Kyler Murray and what he thinks of it, how he would assess it so far this season. I'm curious what his answer would be. It'd probably be a non-answer. I will ask him to uh, in his next press conference. Okay. There you go. Or you get a one-on-one interview with him after every game for the radio. I know. That's why I had it down. And then he took another dig at Wolf, and it kind of didn't really fit at the uh, end there. Sometimes so. you just got to roll yeah, with the uh, – yeah. yeah. So, 
Uh, I did ask him about, you know, Saving Collins, Isaiah Simmons. So uh, he's bullish on those two guys. But I tell you what, you know what's not, and I, and I agree with Jim Omohundro on this, our fine producer, the Antonio Hamilton interception is not getting enough play. That was a huge moment. Huge Agreed. in the end zone. Agreed. Kept them off the board. Changed the tide. Yeah. Could have, would have been 14-3 late first quarter. That, that, that was a big deal and a big interception. And then he kept the ball. And he came all the way down the sideline and gave it to his wife in the front row of the stands. That was that was a really poignant moment. Not just how impactful it was in the game, but just in terms of one-off moments on the season, that's a memorable moment. I mean, I love the whole Antonio Hamilton story. Uh, he came and talked to us a couple weeks ago about the whole thing, about how he got burned and how he kind of sees it because he's such a, a man of faith that he sees it as a plan that he was kind of destined to go through this and he went to a burn unit. And, you know, I, I think I, I just, it is a great story. I mean, Antonio Hamilton is a great story anyways, even before oh, all the injury yeah. happened. The fact, yeah. I mean, that was his first NFL interception. He's been in the league for six years. Yeah, I did not know that until after the game. So I just, you know, and, and another reason, look, I know everybody got, Every all uppity because last year that the Cardinals let Rasul Douglas go on the practice squad and he ended up going to the Packers and playing really well. Well, the reason they let Rasul Douglas go was because Antonio they felt Antonio Hamilton was playing better than him and they were That's both true. on the practice squad at the beginning of the year and they picked Antonio Hamilton. So I'm I'm glad that he's having that kind of success. And it is funny I, I that the the celebration about going to his wife fantastic. I mean when he was doing his press conference he his wife tiara he he kept saying over and over how she was the only reason he got through the whole thing and she he basically she, she did everything for him because he couldn't move around and and he couldn't be more uh thankful for everything she did so that was cool it was in direct and there's there's nothing wrong with this either i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it but i it just it felt so weird contrasting what antonio hamilton did you see what isaiah simmons did after he scored he, when he scored the touchdown, all his teammates want to come over and swarm him, and he stiffed arm at least two of them, making sure that he had enough room to do whatever celebration he was trying to the do, dance. whatever dance he was trying to do. But guys were coming over trying to hug him and stuff, and he's like, get out of there. Get away from me. Get away. It was just funny. By the way, speaking of former Cardinals, Jordan Hicks. I've heard of him. Runs the defense for the Vikings. Does he have a competitive advantage against his former quarterback? What does Jordan Hicks know about what sort of game plan should go in against Kyla Murray? And why do I have a feeling that after the game we might be citing not only the play but the mind of Jordan Hicks in what other, whatever defensive effort the Vikings bring forth? Absolutely. He has some sort of advantage for how many years he you know practiced against Kyla Murray. The question is, can you execute and actually put that mental advantage you have onto the field. I mean, you have to remember, too, I mean, the offense has gone up against Jordan Hicks. I do think it'll be interesting because the clear storyline after the game is going to be looking at Jordan Hicks and Zayvon Collins. Sure. Probably. Yeah. Unless unless Hop and P2 give us something. So, uh, as I'm looking here, just to make sure uh, the – yeah, the – I mean – the Jordan Hicks, he is the starting Mike linebacker, correct, for the Vikings? Uh, he's starting. I don't, yeah. I'm assuming it's Mike. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, here's the other thing about the Vikings, and this is actually is a bigger concern to me is DJ Humphreys always speaks of Daniil Hunter as maybe the most underrated pass rusher in the league. Daniil Hunter has had 
big games against the Cardinals in the past, and now they've added Zadarius Smith. Yeah, he's playing well. And, and the middle linebacker, Kendricks, uh, he might be alongside of Jordan Hicks. I mean, that, that guy's a dude. I mean, he, he is a player. So we'll see. We'll see exactly what the Cardinals have in store. It is an early game as well, correct? Uh, yes. You're going to have to get out of bed a little bit earlier there, Polly. It's all right. We did in Seattle for the uh, Cardinals folktales. We had to get out there early and navigate all the sound checks. By the Seattle. way, you are fantabulous. As Amazing well. job. No, 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 no. If you have not seen the folktale Stanton Shuffle episode, that was made by, well, by Kyle Deroni, but it was improved by the great Paul Calvisi's acting talents. Very, very impressed, Paul. Well, they hand me the script and they just said, go, don't screw it up. So that was that was the plan right there. You're a natural. And they almost they almost hosed us, Seattle. They rehearsed their halftime show about 17 times. Oh, we heard it every time on the radio oh. on pregame. Yep. So, oh, yeah, that's right, because you guys were doing the... Yeah, uh, we were yeah, watching yeah. you from oh, um, the radio booth. That's right. Jim Omondra. So that was, okay. So that was a, that was pregame in Seattle. Now, by the end of the game on Thursday night, we'll leave it with this. Where were you when you got news the Niners had traded for Christian McCaffrey? Are you kidding me? So now the Cardinals, Cardinals are going to have to play him three times, correct? correct. Tentatively. That's assuming yeah, that's, he doesn't get hurt. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Which is a big if, yes, I know, based on the track record. Very, yeah, very interesting trade. They gave up, what was it, two first rounds? No, no first rounds. First, second. No, no first rounds. No, it was all. They don't have any left after the Trey yeah, Lance trade. I, I think it was right? a couple second day. Second, I don't think they have like round. any picks next year. No, I mean, I, it was it was multiple picks. It was a big package. Um, they're kind of pushing their chips in. I mean, I think I'll be honest. I've seen trades that have bothered me more from the Cardinals' perspective than this one. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say that Christian McCaffrey isn't a very good player and he's going to be better in that uh, offense than he was going to be with the Panthers but I also know that the Cardinals basically made sure that Chris McCaffrey didn't hurt them this year and you know when I when Jalen Ramsey went to the Rams that was an uh-oh yeah this is yeah I'm I'm definitely with all due respect to all of the fine running backs on this roster or across the league Paul um, I'm just not a fan of paying big money to a running back anymore because I think you can get a lot of the same things out of a bunch of different guys. It's like we're back in February hearing you say that. Sorry. I'll tell you what, the bigger headache, I think, in the division and running back is Kenneth Walker, the third. Kenneth Walker looks for, good. For the, what good. seems like what could be for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's at least four years, and that is a long time in the NFL. Now, whether the Seahawks end up paying him big money if he has four big years and then they let him – I mean, again, that's that's what we're all – the reason Kenneth Walker is so awesome is because he's doing it right out of the box, and they've got some time where they don't have to pay him any money. Now, if he has two giant years, three giant years it would have to be, and then they're and then he's probably going to be demanding an extension, and then what do you do and – there, there was Let's a, just live in the moment, Darren. Going I can't into that, live in the moment. It's always about the future. Darren. Going into the Seattle game, here, here was here was the stat on Kenneth Walker that it was amazing. I've never seen this before. He led all Division One running backs in Michigan State in yards after contact and missed tackles. Think about that. He's got the strength and the power, yards after contact, but he also has the ability to make guys miss. And both were number one among college running backs. Looks that way against season. the Cardinals. Oh. Yeah, he was. He was running over dudes. He's running around dudes. He's making guys miss. And yet, finishing speed, everything. And yet, the Cardinals, if they play better offensively, win yeah, that game. Yeah. So I mean, I that's that's the thing anymore. I mean, the thing about running backs for me now, and this goes to CMC, you, if you play running back heavy, you're playing a lower scoring game. 
which if you're playing in a lower scoring game, it's hard to put teams away. So that means the team you might be better than is still within striking distance, and that's that's a tough way to play. And look, you could have Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, and Walter Payton in your back backfield, but if Jimmy G's throwing interceptions like he did at the end of the first half in the end zone, no chance. And we'll leave it there on that nice note about the 49ers here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. <laughs>